1: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi and welcome to Locked On Seahawks. I am Grant Goldberg, joined by Spike Friedman. Spike, today is our mailbag episode. It's the first one of probably many i'm assuming so uh how have you been preparing for it
0: uh i tweeted about it twice and then have been you know really diving back into the deepest recesses of my brain in order to answer some of these questions
1: right we got a lot of good questions and we're gonna answer them as best we can but uh if if they're too weird like i was saying on the last show then uh i think i'll, I'll let you uh yeah be the captain on that one
0: I got this. Don't worry about me.
1: All right, so we'll we'll get right into it and uh this is a question from a friend of the show, Anthony Irwin, who's the one of the co-hosts of Locked On Lakers. He asked how many members of the Seahawks have never been in the sea. Spike, do you have an answer for that? <laughs> yeah uh the answer
0: to that is four four current seahawks have never been in the sea it's mark Lewinsky, dj alexander tyler lockett and jeremy lane none of them have ever been in the sea they've been in some large lakes but never the sea so i think to be the sea i mean i'm counting oceans i'm counting any saltwater body when i say the sea so you know take it from there but none of those guys have ever been in a large body of saltwater
1: wow okay yeah that's that's pretty interesting uh I mean, these these are grown men, so it's 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 funny to hear that I've been in the sea plenty of times. Well, yeah, so I can so say fun. I'm more experienced than some Seahawks and and in. in, in but that's the sort
0: of great content question that we're getting from a friend of this podcast, Anthony Irwin.
1: Exactly, and so we'll we'll jump into another <laughs> another yeah. fun one. Um, is John Ryan the offensive MVP so far for the Seahawks?
0: Okay, so this question uh, came from Churlo. And my answer to this, I get why this question is being asked. Uh, The answer is no, because we haven't seen the awesome John Ryan trick play that we're going to bust out at some point this year yet. And if that trick play turns into a touchdown, maybe the answer will be yes. But I get the question because like there isn't a great answer for who the Seahawks offensive MVP is this year. I mean, Russell Wilson has probably been the best player on the offense, but his numbers have stagnated as a result of the bad offensive line play. Justin Britt has probably been the steadiest member of the offense, but it's crazy to give the offensive MVP to any member of the offensive line. Uh, The best running back has been Chris Carson, but he's out for the year and is already, you know, missing games. In terms of wide receivers or – Jimmy Graham has had the most big plays, but he's also had the most big bad plays. And then Doug Baldwin's been our steadiest option, but he's been dealing with injuries and hasn't really gotten in the end zone much. So there isn't a great answer as to who the offensive MVP is. John Ryan is dominating with his punts so far this year. It's been a good resurgent for a punt unit that was pretty down last year. So I get why that question has been asked. That said, we need John Ryan to get on the board with a touchdown if he's going to get this mantle.
1: Right, and and look terrified while doing it. And another question that stems from that that I just came up with right now: Who would be this like this year's Gary Gilliam in that case?
0: That's a great question, and I think that it's going to be Mark Lewinsky. We just got you know he's a guy who a hasn't been in the C. B. We just got news that Luke Jokel, who was supposed to be out for only two weeks, is going to be out for four to five. Glewinski and Posick uh, are going to be splitting snaps. There reminds me a lot of Gilliam's first year um, getting snaps on the team. Uh, so it's it's either it's either Gluwinski. It could be Matt Tobin, as I believe Gilliam's uh, Gilliam was playing some sixth offensive line that year. Uh, and Tobin's been coming in to do that. So I, my, my most likely answer is Glowinski. My second most like, likely answer is Matt Tobin. Two guys who you definitely want getting receiving touchdowns for the Seahawks.
1: Yeah, I mean, like this is this is completely unrelated to the question. But Matt Tobin sounds like a name like, like he'd be in Nickelback or something. <laughs> That's
0: so real. Oh my god! Yeah, he's definitely he's from Idaho. I know that about tobin so yeah he's not like a southern rock guy he's definitely in i think it's like a christian grunge band is the sort of band (laughs) that he would be the bassist in and he's probably the most accomplished musician and there's probably like a creepy dude in the band but it's not matt tobin and like you know it's gonna get blown up on stereo gum that like the keyboardist because like why does this you know heavy grunge band of a keyboardist that guy's like done something awful but tobin will be like yeah man i'm just a bassist i do it
1: the, yeah. the, the creepy dude's definitely jr sweezy but <laughs> oh, yeah, <of laughs> we're, <course>. we're going <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we we touched on how russell wilson has probably been the best player for the seahawks offensively but the numbers haven't really been there And uh, Ben Baldwin asks us, Uh, after missing their chance to trade Russell Wilson during their bye week, will Seattle do it before the San Francisco game, or wait until after the season? Yeah,
0: so for me, I think they have to trade him to San Francisco, uh, let him run that Kyle Shanahan offense, free him up to do that. And meanwhile, the Seahawks can sign Colin Kaepernick, and then we can run the Colin Kaepernick destroys russell wilson streams offense where he just like scampers past defenders uh but in the end we end up losing that on a tipped interception by eric reed i guess i don't know i don't even know who plays corner for the niners
1: right right now oh my gosh that's that's there that's a whole different mailbag for that i mean we we said there was nobody (laughs) in the Colts secondary i mean but like we know eric reed and jimmy ward are the safeties but who are their cornerbacks I don't know that that's not that's good. a mystery that's a whole nother podcast that's for when we play the the Niners next,
0: yeah, yeah okay. uh do you have an answer for that I mean do you think do you think I'm right? do you think what are you thinking?
1: well, I think it'd probably be best to just wait it out during the season because, like we said, his numbers aren't really there right now, so you know let him build back up his numbers and let him throw a few touchdowns, rush yeah. for a few yards and and really build up his trade value, then we can uh, get a Herschel Walker type return.
0: That's a great point. Russell Wilson's trade value is it is it has ebbed a little, and you gotta he gotta wait it out.
1: Right. So I'm I'm doing some investigative research right now, and I'm finding out that well I I typed in uh, 49ers cornerbacks and they. Uh, it came up with Tremaine Brock and Chris Culliver, which are two players not on the on the roster right now. Yeah, exactly.
0: Years. That's what they, those were. Definitely the first two names that popped into my head. But Tremaine Brock, Seahawks legend.
1: But uh, their their cornerbacks are Rashad Robinson Oof. and uh, Kawan Williams. Oh, Akella Witherspoon. I know that was a guy that um, a yeah, lot yeah. of Seahawks Twitter wanted. That's and, right. And Leon Hall. I haven't heard that name in a. Oh, time.
0: Leon Hall on the. Weird, didn't see that coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh yeah, it's it's really not a good group.
0: And I'll say that we watched them hold the Seahawks to like 12 points, so we should know at least one of their cornerbacks' names, but we don't. So. Right.
1: And one of our cornerbacks is Richard Sherman, and Seahawk asks, one. "Will Richard Sherman be traded prior to the 2018 draft?" I'll I'll answer this first. yeah I, I really don't want him to be. I really don't think he should be. If the Seahawks are smart and if their relationship is patched up like we think it is, then there really isn't a reason that they should. He's still, you know, an elite cornerback. I'd say he's still the best in the NFL. I mean, you you don't you don't hear about him as much because he's not involved in the games, and that's yeah. that's just him doing his job. So the Seahawks would be stupid to trade Richard Sherman. Spike, am I wrong in saying that?
0: I strongly agree. I I, I like. I thought it was an awful idea to trade him before the year. And even with the emergence of Keel Griffin and Justin Coleman, they are great second and third cornerbacks. Neither of them is a great cornerback to the level that Richard Sherman is. Richard Sherman's 29. He's got, you know, he's got more time in his legs, clearly. He's killing it this year. And we are... Like, if the question is, do we extend him long term? Like, I don't. I mean, like, I would. I probably would add, tack, you know, two to three more years onto his deal that we can't get out of. You know what I mean? Like, extend him till his age thirty one or thirty two season at full money without, uh, without being able to cut him. Like, I'd be okay with that. Like, I'd rather do that than trade him. Um, it seems like he's been like a good member of the team. I mean, obviously, he had that ugly hit on Mariota that got that led to some chippiness but you know it, he hasn't been sparring with chris richard at all like he has like he's uh, you know been complimentary towards russell wilson and the press like i don't think we need to trade him i don't want to trade him i hope we don't trade him i can't imagine what we get back for him that would be as good as him if we were planning on trading him we should have drafted a second cornerback this year rather than like nine safeties um because this last season was a looking like a great cornerback draft. I mean, uh, you got Lattimore in New Orleans looking great, who obviously we couldn't have gotten. And Tredavious White looks great in Buffalo. Kevin King looks good in Green Bay. Keel looks great for us. Like, there have been a lot of really good corners in this draft. If you wanted to replace Richard Sherman, this last draft would have been a time to grab a second very good cornerback in order to plan for that future. But our second cornerback that we drafted is Mike Tyson. And he is not at that Witherspoon. He's not even at the Witherspoon level, much less the Tre'Davious White, Lattimore, um, what uh, Adoree Jackson. I mean, there were. This was a really good corner. It was track. deep, yeah. So if we were, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so an- another. And it, uh, I just cut you off right now, but another player that yeah, you did great brought up in, in trade talks among Seahawks Twitter is Jimmy Graham, and yeah, and Evan from HawkBlogger asks us. Does Jimmy Graham's production justify his $10 million cap hits?
0: Oh, boy. I mean, not... Not,
1: not yet? I like, mean, there's still time. Like, yeah, exactly.
0: It's just like, he's... I, I think it's not quite the same, but it reminds me a little bit of Adrian Beltre's deal, where, like, $10 million is high... And, like, Adrian Beltre, we paid him, like, what, $60 million over four years in Seattle, something like that. And based on wins above replacement and what they cost at the time, Beltre was worth, like, within $100,000 of what he paid him in terms of, like, what he should get on the open market for his performance. But a lot of that was hidden value from his defensive excellence. And so it was this sort of deal where, like, It was okay, but it never felt great. And he's obviously been better everywhere else because, you know, because of his skill set, he just fit better in other parks that he played in. And I think there's something similar going on with Jimmy Graham where he's pretty good in our system. He could be great elsewhere. Obviously, he took a major injury and it's sort of a miracle how little time he missed given how significant an injury was. Um, He's made some big plays. He's also let the team down in some crucial moments in a way that you really wouldn't want from a guy you're paying $10 million to who you gave up significant assets in order to get. Like, oh, like the answer is like no, but just barely and i don't like to think of life as a binary like if we were paying him seven and a half or eight million this year i'd be like yeah okay but at 10 million it's like
1: "Uh, not quite so i don't know what do you think grant well like i said i don't like not yet really because there's still time in the season and he can he can explode i mean his, his year last year wasn't terrible. And he had, you know, he had a season similar to New Orleans, like, minus the touchdowns, like, in terms of receiving yards. And I think if we see him being used like he was against the Rams and maybe, you know, stretch it a little more vertically downfield, then we'll, we'll start to see the numbers pick up a little bit. But, uh, you know, the player that you dealt for at the time and the contract that he had... I think that it was warranted then, but it still it remains to be seen right now. So there's there's time for him to kind of close the gap on it being worth it. But right now, I'm with you in saying that right now the production isn't there with how much he costs. Yeah,
0: I. It's not a good deal. Like, although I will say the Saints have already moved on from the pick they used. Like, it. It's this is not a deal that has worked out both because of injury and because of fit but like worked out means maximize the value on like it's not a disaster of a deal based on what has happened like it's just not great and like Schneider has been pretty boom or bust in terms of his deals like Averill and Bennett are two of the best free agent deals in the history of the NFL in their way and like the Percy Harvin trade, despite my loving him for, you know, helping us win a Super Bowl, was terrible. Um, And so, and, and like, Kerry Kerry Williams, Kerry Matthews, what the heck was it?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, Kerry Williams was just horrible.
0: I don't know why I thought it I couldn't – yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, The the, the Graham trade just lives in the creamy middle of life that it's tough to judge in absolutes on.
1: Right, because the, the Seahawks traded for the dominant player, Jimmy Graham, and they've gotten a pretty good Jimmy Graham. So in, in our eyes, the deal hasn't been like great so far. But if he returns to form, then I think we'll see a lot of people appreciating Jimmy more. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, we'll we'll get into a player that we appreciate more than a lot of them. And that's Bobby Wagner. And Chris yeah. Wheeler asks, how many carries will Bobby Wagner get this week? That's that's an interesting question. We've been yeah, lobbying. Do you have an answer? We, we've been lobbying to get him some carries. Um, I don't think anybody in the Seahawks organization has been hearing this podcast. Or else, you know, maybe that would be in the works. We'd start to see some rumblings in practice. But we haven't yet. So my answer is that it, it won't be nearly enough. Yeah, I
0: agree. Not enough. And I think he's a really good matchup at running back this week uh, against a Giants team that is going to live in the Seahawks backfield. He's the sort of guy who can break tackles. That said, given that the Giants' lone competent receiving option is tight end Evan Ingram and that Orlean Starquass sort of went off last week, we probably do need him to put all of his energy into defense as the Giants no longer have outside threats and will be trying to do all their work in the middle of the field. So you know, you get it, you get yeah. it. I get, I get why they aren't going to run him more. But like, he should be getting 15 carries this weekend.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe it'd be best suited for the game against the Texans, where they're without merciless and Watt.
0: Yeah, great point.
1: Great yeah, point. So, so uh, I think we we love Bobby Wagner. He's one of the best Seahawks. But we just we just got asked before we started to record who is the worst Seahawk, and by a, t- a Twitter user whose name is KJ and Silent Bob. Oh, that's uh, Mike great. Chan,
0: I believe. Uh, yeah. The best handle right now out there is KJ and Silent Bob. The answer to the worst Seahawk is and always will be Jeremy Stevens. That's the <laughs> that's like the only possible answer. He's an abuser. so he's a bad person off the field. He was like a rapist at UW. Like he's like the worst human being I've ever heard of in my entire. Like like if you read that, uh, the the Seattle Times book on the rot within the UW system under Rick Neuheisel. Jeremy Stevens was a villain in Seattle before he was on the Seahawks. Then he was on the Seahawks. We used a first round pick on him, and he was terrible. And he basically cost us a Super Bowl with his drops. So he's terrible on the field. And then he keeps being terrible. I hate Jeremy Stevens. Like, he's
1: awful, and I hate him, and he will always be the worst Seahawk to me. All the way bad. And I I 100% and totally back you.
0: And I realize that I'm, like, backing out of, like, who's the worst Seahawk? On the team now and it's because like I don't want to pick on Riso Diombo he didn't ask for this he didn't ask to be the starting left tackle this year he wanted to be a rotational guard he wanted when Luke Jokel went out to be like oh he's going to get some snaps at guard this year like that's what Riso Diombo should be and like he'd be fine at that like that would be fine like so I don't want to put him in that worst odd category a place where guys like Jeremy Stevens live
1: yeah, exactly. Worse on the field for the Seahawks right now, it's it's a hard debate because we have so many bad offensive linemen. But, yeah. But I, a... I feel like this has been kind of like, for as much as we've bagged on Riso Diombo, like it's been a little bit of a support group for him, I feel, too. Like, we, yeah. we've been very positive and encouraging to Reese, so I don't want to pick on him. I'll say, like, maybe Trevon Boykin. Can we just, like, agree on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, but I, uh, I feel like the I feel like the crime stuff that Boykin was. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to bag on him because it's not the same as what Stevens did. I like all. I, I mean, like Frank Clark's got off-field issues, but he's good on the field, and right. I, he seems like a jerk. I don't like Frank Clark. I don't like Brody. but like he's not in that Jeremy Stevens double whammy nightmare category, and right. so. I just don't want I don't want to name anybody else. I don't want to put anybody else in that conversation. Oh yeah,
1: I, I was talking like strictly on the field, like production and stuff like that.
0: Oh, I mean there it's got to be Odiambo, cuz Fetty yeah. has looked good um over the last couple of games. Brit and Joko were both fine and uh Ibushi, I mean Abuchi's just hasn't been the gaping nightmare that odiambo has been. Uh yeah, I mean Odegbombo's been just terrible. But again, like he didn't ask for this.
1: Yeah, and and it's fair to say that like when he had to was forced basically to switch to left guard, like I would certainly freak out about that. I don't know about yeah. you. And Sham asks, at what point in the season is it fair to freak out about the Seahawks? And I'll start by saying that at for as much, you know, for as much of the season that's been up and down already, it's it's mainly been good more than the bad I mean we're three and two right yeah. now and it could be a lot worse and we haven't had really any major injuries besides Carson I mean, and fan and fan right. and but like who knows what George Fant would have been and like yeah and Chris Carson for as much like for as good as he was like he was definitely not in the plans like at the start of the offseason yeah so it Carson was a good like bonus and and Fant was still pretty much an unknown but we don't really have any major injuries besides that. We're three and two. We beat the Rams, and yeah. the NFC is, like I said, you know, looking, looking pretty beat up as a whole. So I don't think that we'll have much to freak out about unless anything happens. So I, I don't really have a good answer for that one, really. Well,
0: I'll say this: the Seahawks have won a playoff game each of the five last five years. That is a crazy run. Like that is such a good run. And frankly, they were. Basically, live to make the Super Bowl in four of those last five years. Like, obviously, against Atlanta, it was close. Then we won the Super Bowl. Then we lost the Super Bowl in a very close game. And the next year against the Panthers, we had Odiombo come in and blow it, but we almost came back in that game. And the only time where really we didn't have a shot was when we had to play Atlanta without Earl Thomas. And so for me, like, the time, to- like, basically, the Seahawks have been good enough that, like, the only time you should be freaking out about them is if Russell Wilson on offense or Earl Thomas on defense gets hurt. Anything else, and I'm like, we haven't seen anything that says that the Seahawks are not a legitimate contender if Russell Wilson and Earl Thomas are on the field. So, for me, like, there's really, like, and, and, that, and that's actually, like, a weird, interesting thing. It's, like, emotionally... That means you're always bought in and the highs are so high and the lows are so low and you really it's a tough team to root for in some way. I mean, it's not like like if I said that to like a Browns fan, they punch me in the face. But (laughs) it is the sort of thing where like you can't take a week off from caring because this team plays a lot of close games against bad teams, but is always in it against good teams. And so, like, it's tricky, but, like, really, if Earl Thomas and Russell Wilson are suiting up in January and we are where we think we'll be, which is, like, you know, probably, like, 11 and 5. I mean, I just saw Jonathan Allen is out for the year for the Redskins, which I hate saying their name out loud. Sorry to do that. Um, But also, um, they are uh, a, a real threat to the Seahawks because of their pass rush. But he's out now for the season. And I'm like, wow, you look forward. J.J. Watt's out. A lot of the teams that would have posed the biggest challenges to the Seahawks are reeling. And, you know, like 12 and four is in play, 11 and five or 10 and six, and either the division or the top wildcard slot seem like the most likely outcomes for this team. And then you get in the playoffs where, again, we've won a playoff game every year. Even when Earl Thomas wasn't playing, we won a playoff game. So I'm like, you can't freak out. You just have to, like, feel all your feelings all the time, which is just hard. It's just right. hard. It's, it's
1: it's mentally exhausting being a seahawks yeah. fan we it's always life or death with everything that happens there's so much hyperbole everything is you know in a microscope basically and yeah. so everything matters to the seahawks We're in a constant state of, of freaking out about everything yep okay and so I guess we'll get into the weirdness no we have one we have one. And I'm not saying like these questions aren't normal or anything, so Spike, don't just jump at me hey, yet. Hey, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Alright, cool. So like we're, we're making sure we're cool and measured right now. We have one more question like this. So we get asked, Sean Scott says, aren't you dying to see the Seahawks throwback uniforms? And I, I'll start by saying yes. I think that there's, cap- like Nike's really capable of making it look really good. Yeah. And like I'm not disappointed that we haven't seen it yet, but just like I'm just like waiting to see it because I, I know agree. it can be done so well and I think like as simple as those uniforms were, they look so clean and like I have a, I have a couple throwback jerseys myself and they're they're my favorite to wear. I just think that they're classic and they just look good where like however you wear them and so I think that and When it's done, it'll look good, and I'm hoping it's soon.
0: Yeah, I'll just say, like, the Rams have gotten a lot of praise for their throwbacks and their right to, and I think the Seahawks shouldn't let the Rams take another step. You know, they've already got the offensive innovator in Sean McVay. They can't get ahead of us in the uniform battle as well.
1: Right, exactly. Now, Sean McVay is really good, and the Rams uniforms are really good. But I'll go on a limb saying P. Carroll is better, so we 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 really have to go two for two in that in that situation. I agree. I agree. Okay, so um, now... but we've
0: got one more. we got one more normal, or we've got sort of two more normal ones. We're gonna oh, there we go. Yeah. the offensive line questions, which are from uh, Corky Knievel and then there are a couple others. Who are those other two from?
1: The other two are from. Uh, these were actually the first questions that we got, so I want to send a thank you to Jared Westby.
0: Okay. Yeah, so we got sort of a bunch of a bunch of Tom Cable questions. Uh does Tom Cable refuse to have talented veterans or do talented veterans refuse to play for Tom Cable? Is Tom Cable a bad O line coach or is the talent as bad as we hear? And is the screen pass just not in Hawk's playbook? Our O line seems like they could sell it so well on every play because they're cutting five types. That isn't in the question, but <laughs> that's you know. uh man. I'll say this, like, we've invested a lot of draft capital in offensive linemen, and, man, but, like, Luke Jokel and George Fant being out for the next few weeks is, like, things not going to plan in a pretty significant way, but also, like, you gotta be able to see that coming, and teams like Green Bay have been able to deal with it, you know, so I I have... I don't know. And and I'm like a little higher on a Fetty, but that just means I don't think he's terrible. I think he's not good, but he's not terrible. So I think we've put enough draft resources at offensive line that we should be better. We haven't thrown a lot of like capital at the problem, but we've thrown some money at Luke Jokal and we could have thrown money at TJ Lang. I don't think it would have fixed the issue. You know, we've got a decent center. Like it's, ah, I think that, i wish tom cable weren't the coach because a he's got a terrible history and b he is not great but i was oh and this is all to say i i was listening to i think it was andy benoit's podcast i know he just underrated russell wilson again so he's not the most popular guy on seahawks twitter but he made a point about like our offensive lines about Accentuating the strength of your offensive linemen or minimizing their weaknesses. Tom Cable seems to be an all in on accentuating the strengths. Like he wants guys pulling off crazy cuts and crazy combo blocks and pulling across four linemen, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And it's like, I wish he would be willing to be a little more conservative sometimes in his blocking schemes because he's not generating a run game right now and he's getting his quarterback murdered. And so it feels like the wrong match of personality and the coach with offensive line talent as much as it is them being objectively bad.
1: Right. And we touched on this before on a, on a different podcast that, that if, if we were to get rid of Tom Cable and keep the offensive line or get rid of the offensive line and keep Tom Cable, what would happen? And you kind of want to see what would happen with a different coach, but like you don't know if it's just a bad crop of talent. And I feel like the Seahawks, you know, throughout the drafts in the past you know five, six years, have invested so much in, in young offensive linemen and I feel like they just keep going for these young offensive linemen to get that group that can gel and be that, you know, consistent group on the team, like that plays for like seven or eight years. And like it's just not a point that you have to worry. And they've been going for that and going for that and keep striking out and, and keep you know getting these linemen that can't they can't you know, run block or pass block or block at all and keep having to patch it up and, and do work to replace them, and you can't get that consistency in these young players. And I don't know yeah. if, that's, if that's, you know, on the personnel that the Seahawks drafted or how they're coaching them up. So it's it's hard to say if they want, if they refuse to have talented veterans too. Well, Like, and that, like well, they I had say... Evans and they cut him. Yeah. And, like, he's doing well for the Packers, obviously. And then uh, they missed out on Lang. They missed out on Whitworth, who are both having great years in their respective teams. And
0: also, Russell Okung's
1: having a great year, right? Uh, and who could they could have got him on a, a like a relatively cheap deal? He was, he was representing himself, and yeah. like, and this is not a slight at uh, Russell Okung at all, but he's not an NFL agent, And yeah. So they they could have gotten like a a pretty lucrative deal for them, yeah. All right, I think we covered the offensive line. Right, let's get weird. All right, Spike, let's let let us I'll let you bring us into the weirdness.
0: Okay, well, the first question we got from Zach Malm is, why in the world would Din Tai Fung open a stand at CenturyLink but not sell the garlic green beans? And this is a great question, because Din Tai Fung, uh, we've got it in California, they got it up in Seattle, uh, it opened there while I was living up there still. I love Din Tai Fung, I go regularly to the location in Glendale now, went to the one in New Village when I was up in Seattle. Great, great soup dumplings. Um... And they're known for their soup dumplings. And the soup dumplings are great. But if you're going to Jin Tai Fung and you're not getting the garlic green beans, you're not living your life to the fullest. So I get it. And, and I don't know the answer. I mean, probably the answer is they're doing a lot of steaming. You know, you can get those steamer baskets going. You can (laughs) quickly get out those uh, dumpling situations. And in order to do the garlic green bean, you really need a hot wok. You need like a wok burner. So you need to be getting that wok, like the surface temperature on it, up to like really high temperatures that might be deemed unsafe. Might also smoke if you get the wrong oil and you don't want smoking in the stadium. Uh, So that might be the risk. It might be about the heat that you need in order to properly nail those garlic green beans in a wok fry situation.
1: Okay, so that went really in-depth, somewhere I didn't think it was going. So (laughs) Spike is just navigating through the weirdness perfectly. Me, myself, I didn't know what dentai Fung was before Uh. this podcast, so you can roast me if you want. But I'd say listen to Spike. I mean, the Seahawks Grant, usually start their games
0: at. Grant, the, just, you gotta come out to Glendale, man. We'll get some Din Tai Fung. You can enjoy it. It's real good. Well, yeah, I'm glad we, we
1: can we can record right from the restaurant. But uh, yeah. the Seahawks play their games at 1 p.m. most most days, and they have primetime games, so you have the whole day to get your get your garlic green beans on. So that's maybe true. maybe take care of that pregame, and then get your soup dumplings You know when yeah. you're when you're at the Sea Link. I mean, all right, that's not a bad point. This one from Liam Pierce is wild. Should <laughs> I go
0: as should I go as a lantern jawed wolf this Halloween to celebrate Kim Jong un's diss of John Kerry? I don't know what this has to do with the Seahawks, frankly. And I worked for the John Kerry campaign, not to make this about politics, but that's something I did back in two thousand four when Grant was three years old or I something. Was
1: seven years old.
0: Oh my god. I was in college, like I wasn't. I'm not that old, but like, oh my god! Uh, so I'm a John Kerry supporter. Uh, it is a good burn by Kim Jong Un for sure. Good burn, solid burn. You always
1: have to recognize the good burns, like. But no I don't like
0: know. What. I don't know if it's worth it for your Halloween costume to push all in on repping Kim Jong Un. Like, I wouldn't do that. That seems Kim Jong Un. A lot of human rights violations. Not a good guy. Generally, not you know, a good guy. I, like. I I said a lot of things about Jeremy Stevens. I'd say Kim Jong-un is maybe worse than Jeremy Stevens, so don't lean into that for your Halloween costume. Yeah,
1: I mean, and, like, in terms of this podcast, they're neck and neck in, like, the bad guy rankings. Yeah, exactly. So So don't get out there. And, like, me being the costume expert that I was, I mean, I was nominated for, like, most spirited in high school, so I'll bring bring that up, like, like, just to boast about my accomplishments. But i feel like that's just really particular and you're gonna have a lot of people like a lot of explaining you going for and that's exhausting frankly so like maybe going maybe go something like easier like i don't know like like david s pumpkins it's david pumpkins right yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I will
0: say my buddy, the best Halloween costume I've ever seen was my buddy uh, Jubin went as gentrification. Nice. And he wore bags on his shoes, jeans, a button-down shirt, and then a top hat and monocle. And that was, I mean, he had to explain it all night, but it was a really good costume. I'd say
1: that's worth it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, that's clever. Like, because even once you explain what a Lantern John, John Wolf is, you then have to explain why you're doing it. And you can only afford one explanation. You either have to be very clearly what you are and then the answer is why. Or... The question is like, oh, what is this? And when you explain it, people go, Oh, you can't have two explanations necessary. That's the problem with your costume. And yeah. also Kim Jong un has a lot of human rights violations. So right. and I, I those are the like, two big problems.
1: And I feel like labeling Kim Jong un as your inspiration for your costume is just not, not a good look.
0: Not great. I mean, look, not great. I'm not a, like, I don't want to dive too deep into politics. Because, like, there's, I have some, you know, whatever. Lots of people agree with me, lots of people don't, whatever. But Kim Jong-un not being great is uh, something that I think we can all yeah, agree he's on. he's
1: universally bad. Yeah. yeah uh, and, uh, is that it? Is that our last question? Well, or ever... I, was, I was just going to drop that. One year I was Bruce Banner, like, immediately after he hulked down. Oh, so
0: you were naked? Or, Basically, like, had like pants? I just,
1: like, cut up shorts and, like, a cut-up T-shirt and, like, like it was something like fairly easily, and people were like, "Oh, like good costume." Like,
0: yeah, that's a good one. I like that.
1: Yeah, so like, uh, I'll I post never, a little more. Yeah,
0: I've never had like a great costume. I did a solid couples costume with my girlfriend last year of Bob and Linda from Bob's Burgers. Great nice. show yeah, yeah, to Bob's Bob, Burgers.
1: Bob's Burgers, like if we can like get something like with a show, like that'd be great. I will Burgers. say that I got Bob's fun Burgers is universally great. I will say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. Shout out to Bento Box Productions where my buddy Duncan is currently working on the David S. Pumpkins uh animated special. There we go. It, uh, that they just announced. So uh you know, shout out to Bento Box if they wanna sponsor the Lockdown seahawks podcast. We will gratefully promote Bob's burgers although we're already doing it.
1: Yeah, We've so like been- this is the this is the free sample, sample. Like
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You want the, you want the good stuff, you're gonna have to come back and give us some money, Bento Box Productions.
1: Yeah, but uh, I think I have a I think I have a picture of myself floating around the internet like dressed as Hey Arnold last year. Okay. Yeah, so like so we have range in our costumes. Maybe yeah. animated characters. But uh yeah. we have range. Alright. Uh, yeah, so uh one Great last, mail one last note, yeah. Oh I, w- I will say more? we got some questions on Twitter, but if you go to iTunes and uh Leave your Twitter handle in a five-star review. You will be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge membership, and um, you'll have access to all the numbers, all the stats, and uh, you'll be the coolest guy in the room. So, uh, so go ahead and do that because it seems yeah. like a good idea. Like we've and had some good leave, ideas on you leave if you
0: leave a question in there, we'll probably answer it. I don't want to get in a situation where I promise we'll answer it, but we'll probably answer it.
1: If it's not if it's not related to the leader of North Korea, we'll probably answer it. Even if, I, I mean, we, we, answered it. Yeah. So you can venture out there. I think we got a little weird. We can get weirder. I've, I've yeah. experienced the, the wild side that Spike's been bringing up over the past couple weeks and, uh, I kind of like it. So, uh, you've done your job there, Spike. Yeah. All uh, right. So uh, I, I think, right. I think this is, has been locked on Seahawks. I'm Grant Goldberg signing off and I'm Spike Friedman also signing off.
0: Easier said, done.